Oh, okay. Wow. It's a, it's a Mexican vampire monster shapeshifter man. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 49. In this episode, we are reading Stephen King's The Outsider. I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy and fellow host, Jacob. Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book something or other, episode 49. It's going to be a weird episode today. There's yes. there's no getting around it. Uh, I don't know how this is going to sound in the final product, but there may be some differences in the, uh, in the audio here for us. And mm-hmm. uh, well... That's because we are we're we're socially isolating, Ryan. As yes. as uh, one probably as any of our listeners are probably aware of now that uh, the U.S. is starting to kind of get into this early stages of coronavirus, we've decided to go ahead and start figuring out our our remote recording plan. So this is going to be an interesting episode. I think we've done we've done one previous remote. Yeah, uh, when you were when with I was in Seattle, Christina. Yeah, mm-hmm. over the over the the poetry collection, but. This is going to be our first kind of full show, full traditional style show. And it is still going to be a, a, a traditional episode. We're going to tell you a little bit about the author, Stephen King, uh, give you a brief summary. And then we're just going to jump into the book before rating it at our at our in our patented three tier four for getting rid of it. Uh, five, if we're going to turn it into a vampire doppelganger or something and, and kill yeah. some kids in a cave. Uh, and then, of course, we've got a we actually have a, a couple of episodes lined up in advance here, but. Yeah, this is this is gonna be interesting. I'm I'm very much used to kind of like playing off of somebody in front of me, so we'll just have to listen to verbal cues more than anything else in this episode. Yeah, and we've been doing this long enough that I think we pretty much know how uh, how these conversations go. So I'm yeah. sure sure we won't talk over each other any more than we normally do. So it'll, it'll nah, be and fine. it's fine. If if I do, you could just mute my track that I send in. We'll just like well, we'll just bring the levels down on Jacob's track at this point, and then bring it back up later when he's mid sentence. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so if you have not read the book, you should go read the book. Now is a perfect time to read pretty much any book, and we'll talk about that later uh, later in the episode. With we'll have our some big of our coronavirus hoedown. Yeah, yeah, and uh, or or I can honestly say you can watch the show. And then come listen to this podcast because they're pretty damn close. And I think most of the things that we'll talk about as good, bad, or otherwise from the book are probably pretty much true in the show, too. So I'll do uh, toward the end of the episode um, as well kind of a little breakdown of, of some of the key differences and how I think that didn't work on the show or, or did work in the book and vice versa. So should be should be an interesting time. So should we get into talking about Stephen King? Well, let's do it. I mean, this is it's it's odd. We're basically two years into the podcast. Haven't read any Stephen King, you know, a pretty ubiquitous American author. So welcome yeah. to the podcast, Stephen King. Yeah, I'll be 34 next uh, next month. And I have not read any Stephen King in my entire life up to this point. So this was the, this is the first thing, which is super weird, because if you go through his his list of books uh, among them, his first one is Carrie, The Shining. Uh, we've got, uh, what Cujo, the running man, the whole dark tower series, uh, Christine pet cemetery, uh, it, of course, um, what am I missing? Uh, the green mile, uh, was another, was another really good one. And I've got to say though, most of his more recent stuff, I don't, uh, 
I'm not as, as familiar with um, as some of the, I guess, King classics. But anyway, Stephen King was uh, was born in uh, 1947 in uh, Portland, Maine. He makes him 72 as of today. Uh, he graduated from the University of Maine, uh, later worked as a teacher um, while he established his uh, writing career. And as I've indicated, his uh, writing career is uh, extensive. Um, he has done a ton of, uh, of novels. He's published 63, um, actually, uh, under uh, seven of them were under a pen name of Richard Bachman, five nonfiction books, and he's written over 200 short stories. Uh, he's obviously been involved in uh, screenplays for, for a lot of his books um, and uh, has been in, involved in other projects. Uh, did you ever watch Creepshow, Jacob? Uh, I don't know. That sounds familiar, but I'm not. nothing is jumping to mind. My mom, my mom talked about Creepshow um, as, as being something creepy. It's a little bit, little bit too old for me, but um, I definitely remember seeing like the the comics or the graphic novels um, somewhere at some point in my life. I don't know if she had them or, or what, but um, any rate, Stephen King has been involved in a lot of philanthropy uh, and politics uh, type discussions. One of the things that, that he got involved with that I didn't, didn't necessarily love is he's one of those people that uh, thinks video games uh, beget violence in real life, which I think Stevie bad, bad take there, bud. Bad. Yeah. Not not great, c- considering I think there ve- there have been actual scientific studies where there's not a direct correlation. But in better news, uh, he's a big uh, music fan. Uh, he has a band called the Rock Bottom Remainders um, that feature other writers, uh, Dave Barry, uh, Barbara Kingsolver, and Amy Tan. I'm familiar with Amy Tan, but yeah, I don't I don't not know the anybody others. else. No idea. Yeah. yeah. So, uh. I, I mean, Stephen King is probably the most prolific and I would argue probably the most well-known writer of our generation. Can can you think of anybody that's bigger of the last than him? 40 of the last 40 years? No. Yeah. No, as someone who's just kind of even even us, you know, obviously we've never read any Stephen King, but we know so much about the stories mostly through other media or just by um the fact that you get so many kind of knockoffs or at least sort of the, the yeah. stories and the things in Stephen King kind of uh, emanate out elsewhere. One of the things that's fascinating to me is, you know, he's he early on. I mean, I guess he's always been at a pretty good clip as far as getting these books pushed that pushed out. But man, within the last like five or six years, he's put out something uh, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, like 11 books in like six yeah. years, which is which is crazy to me. It's uh, just I wonder how much time he actually spends doing anything else or if he's just constantly writing. Yeah, I know that he's been Because they're not some... short books. It's like 570 pages, 570 no. pages, 700 pages, 400 pages, 500 pages. Like, it's, oh my goodness. Yeah. And I, I think that he is is also co-writing some stuff uh, with, with other writers as well. I know he does some collaborative work, so that could be, that could be part of it. But actually, I was reading that... Mm. Um, his pen name that he used for a little while was um, because he was he was writing so much. He was afraid that people wouldn't take a writer seriously who is publishing more more than one book per year. So he came up yeah. with that pen name to push out 
additional books within the same calendar year, which I think is is fascinating and uh, in the long run right. unnecessary. Yeah, because if you're if you're doing if you're doing more than one book a year, then it's obviously just trash, right? Yeah, I mean, you would make that assumption, but clearly not the not the case. Yeah, let's get into the plot of The Outsider. Basically, the story of The Outsider is a kind of whodunit man commits a crime, but he's in two places at once and try to figure out his innocence. And then uh, it just turns into Mexican shape-shifting vampire men uh, that get hit in the face with sock rock things. So, fun time. Sock sock rock. (laughs) Well, sock full of... Basically, he gets taken out by a, a heavy sock, so... Um, yeah, let's get into it. This book is, uh, this book's something else. Um, I didn't have the privilege of, of seeing the show. I'm guessing you, you started watching the show first, right? And so you kind of had your interest peaked by that. Yeah. Um, so you had a little bit of, of context and I'm guessing about how much into this book were you aware of before you actually started reading it from the show? Um, I was... On I think episode five, whenever maybe six, whenever we, uh, whenever we approach the subject of reading it. So by that point in the series, like all the main ideas had been out there. You were just sort of chasing down the El Cuco thing at that point. Okay, so you weren't you weren't really in the dark about the turn that kind of happens in this book, really, with the supernatural thing or like Maitland getting murdered. Well, both, I guess, Maitland, because that was that's kind of the first thing is you this book is set up where you're thinking, OK, this is kind of like this is centered on Maitland. Yeah. And we're going to yeah. kind of be following him through this process. Oh, no, he gets killed. It's actually going to be centered on Ralph. And we're kind of following him through this process now. Oh, also, <laughs> it's now it's kind of it goes from this like intriguing sort of crime thriller to, well, it was a shape shifting vampire that like visits people at night and tells them, you know, not to look into it any further. And yeah, it's, it just kind of goes off the rails there, which I don't know. Again, I've, I've never read Stephen King before, but I think as a as a person going in, I didn't have the expectation. I mean, if you look at the cover, if you just kind of take in sort of the gist of of Stephen King's, I don't know what you would expect out of reading his book. It, it doesn't surprise right. me that it completely sort of switches there uh, to a supernatural thing. It just, for me, it felt, I don't know, like the, the first part of this book kind of built up pretty slowly, honestly, mm-hmm. it, it, mm-hmm. it was a little slow pace, but it was at least intriguing to me. Like the concepts were there that I was interested in as a reader, like the, the overarching sort of, well, how can he be at two places at once? You know, we have all this evidence pointing to this and this evidence pointing to that. And how are we going to figure out um, what's actually happening here? How are we going right. to figure out maybe it's someone that's framing him and doing all these things and they're going to this extensive effort? Like, why would they do that? How are we going to do this? And really, you know, all of that awesome sort of buildup then just kind of leads to this just like it's a dumb monster uh, at the end of the day. And. Like, I get that it's kind of within a, a horror genre, but it just seems really lazy to me to to just kind of go, well, all of this stuff, we're going to set up this, like, highly improbable scenario. And you would think as a reader, it's like, wow, this is really cool. We're going to see all these sort of puzzle pieces fall into place in order to make this, like, a really interesting and compelling narrative that ties mm-hmm. back into everything that happened in the beginning. But no, it's just a stupid monster that sh- that's like, oh yeah, it's 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 just a monster. It does this. Yeah. So yeah. And 
from what I'm again, and uh, not a very big Stephen King reader from what I've sort of tangentially taken in from other um, opinions on like some of his other work is this is Stephen King. <laughs> he, he kind of like sets you up. He has this really good way of building kind of a, a background setting, building this sort of narrative. And then it just goes into just, it's just a stupid monster. And then yeah. the book ends. Yeah. And to me, I don't know, like that's just, I've never been a big purveyor of the horror genre to begin with, but that just, the idea of that kind of being a, a staple element in stories, especially supposedly more recent books that he's written, that mm-hmm. just completely turns me off from the idea of ever reading anything by this. Because I did feel a little bit disappointed with the the overall sort of trajectory of this book, especially with how much that like back half. Okay. So we have the, you know, we have Okuko and then it's, we're constantly like re-explaining everything that's, that's happened to new people. And we're kind of mm-hmm. getting everybody. And it just feels like we're just getting pages and pages and pages and pages of just treading water and nothing happening on top of it, just being a stupid, you know, monster. And it's just that in combination really, Whew, that was rough, and I I was completely caught off guard by that because it wasn't something that I saw coming in. However, sure, you sure. you know you watch the show, so what were your expectations? I guess based on kind of like how those things hit you in the show versus going into it and seeing it sort of take place within the actual narrative structure of the book. Yeah, so I think one one big difference between the the show and the book is is that exposition of El Cuco like as a character. So in the show, um, you know, you get, first of all, you get a ton more, like, background on on Hoskins and, like, what his life is like and sort of how he's tortured by this this creature, right? But yeah. to, to a certain point, until you get to probably episode six, seven, maybe, um, which it's, there's ten episodes, you know, all in you don't get like a sort of direct voice for El Cuco. You don't get like a a picture of him. They, you know, they sort of do this, you know, like standing in the shadows thing and, you know, whatever. So you're, when you're watching the show, you're still holding on to the possibility that like, there's something going on, you know, there's somebody there, but it may not be like a supernatural type thing. Um, even though like, you know, Hoskins is, is doing their Haskins, whatever the hell his name is, is doing like the, uh, like all this weird stuff. Like he's, uh, he's killing like deer and throwing it in the woods and like bringing, you know, like household supplies and like, you know, like a lamp and stuff like that out into the, the middle of the woods. He kills a hunter, uh, and, uh, drags his body out there and you can hear something clearly chewing on it. But, like, you don't ever see El Cuco, right? And he, he mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have, like, a direct voice until very, very late in the show where that becomes, like, an established thing. So I think that the sort of, I guess, rollout of that concept to me felt a little bit more organic and suspenseful throughout the show because you're still not really sure, whereas you're pretty damn sure as soon as the concept is even presented in this book that that's that exists and that's where they're going with this whole thing. Right. And yeah, I think, I think I agree like that excuse sort of cheapens everything else, right? Like it introduces this other, 
you know, fantastical element to, to everything, right? Like there is this creature that exists, you know, kind of like aliens, right? Or just anything, right? Loch Ness monster, like, oh my God, there's, yeah, like Bigfoot killed him. It was Bigfoot the whole time, guys. Yeah. Like there's, there's something that exists in, in a very established real world that is well beyond the bounds of like our currently accepted, like knowledge. Right. And I, I want to back this up by just saying I'm totally fine with, again, with like fantastical elements within stories or within like mystical beasts or any of that stuff. As mm-hmm. long as it's kind of something that is developed over the course of, let's say, kind of our introductory elements within this chapter or, or with, excuse me, if it, within the book, like the early chapters, if it's something that we kind of establish that something is different in this world or that some elements just, you know, are kind of not adding up beyond just the the very practical, like, he was here, he was here, we have DNA pointed to this, we have DNA pointed to that, or we have eyewitnesses here, we have all this. Like, if we have these other elements at play that kind of open up that realm of sort of weirdness to it, then it's fine. But it feels like you... It feels like he was trying so hard to kind of write this, like, compelling crime sort of mystery drama situation and then didn't really know how he was going to finish it. So it was just like, well... I'm Stephen King. It's a it's it's a monster. It's a it's El Cuco. That's what it is. Boom. That explains it. And then I can kind of just get comfortable writing the whole end of this book where everyone just kind of does the same thing. And, you know, we eventually take out the monster and woohoo! like that to me, just it it cheapens what could have been a really cool, like established, interesting story, because yeah. at at the end of the day, like. I don't know. It it does. It it feels a little bit ham-fisted. It doesn't feel like it's something that's like meticulously crumbs or dropped early on to sort of create this. It's kind of we get the weirdness surrounding the 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 instance, but in no way am I thinking in the first half of this book, oh, it must be a monster that like takes on his image by using his blood. Right. Like, at, at no point that's ever kind of crossing your mind and then eventually with that is kind of the that's the answer because it's like, well, We've eliminated all other possible options, so the the op, the answer has to be a, a, a Mexican vampire blood-sucking shapeshifter guy that visits people in the night and tells them not to investigate. Yeah. Um, so as you can see, or as you can, I'm sure, tell, I I've, I've very much the back half of this book was me just kind of like page-turning. I was trying to, to get through because, again, this wasn't like a two-, three-hundred-page book. This was a 560-page book of which probably 300 of it felt like just constant uh, character exposition about nothing. Yeah, up until—yeah, I agree. Up The last, like, 200 pages is where everything really rolls. And I didn't—but I didn't hate the first half of the book, like— I feel like oh, I didn't. I didn't like hate it his, either. I liked the first half of the book, regardless of like the first half of the book was slow, but I liked all the pieces coming together. I preferred that. And then once we hit that middle section where it's like, okay, yeah. we're still kind of slow, but now we have now Holly's here, and we now have like all these mystical elements. That's where it just like completely lost me, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, I'm just we're we're on a roller coaster now. And we're just trying to get through this. Right. Yeah. It it does feel very or it, it felt once we got to that later half of the book that it was very like uh i i guess guided right like that that whole the yeah. whole impression of the of the first part was like there were so many things that were happening unexpectedly um and and i will i'm going to say like one of the most effectual things in the show um that didn't translate to the book well in my opinion 
was the like tragedy of the Peterson family. So did did it like gut you at all that like the mom had a heart attack and the son shot Terry and the dad killed himself? Like or because the way that I read it was just sort of like, well, that that sucks. That sucks. But when I watched the show, I was like, oh, my God, this is awful. Yeah, I mean that's I'm I didn't get that at all in the oh. book. It was very much just like, oh wow, well that sucks. I I don't know I don't know what the difference really amounts to between the two things. Whether it's like a a visual thing because also in the show that there was a lot less exposition on sort of tertiary or secondary characters. Yeah. Um, so you really only see like clips of the Petersons like after the initial thing. Um, so you just see them cleaning up after the, after the funeral. Um, she just like goes crazy and starts breaking stuff and then she collapses and has a heart attack. Then they flash to the hospital. She's, you know, she's nowhere to be found. They're sitting in a hallway waiting for news. Doctor comes up and then they just break down. Nobody's, there's no dialogue or anything like really in, in either scene. And those things probably take, you know, 90 seconds a piece if, if even that. And then, uh, you know, you obviously have the courthouse scene, and then um, when uh, f- what's the father's name? Frank uh, kills himself. Um, he hangs himself in the bedroom, and like he, as he's swinging, he kicks out a window, and a jogger freaks out. And uh, that was like it. That was that was all you see in there. And like I think those like little snippets were more impactful to me than kind of seeing the buildup, like being in the house um, with the son and the father and, and kind of having all these things that I felt like while all of that was, was so well done, I think Stephen King is a fantastic writer and was really good about like the, like the tactile, like um, nature of like interaction between people and certainly like his language choice and dialogue um, I just found that it didn't like it didn't add anything to the story and it it bogged a lot of things down. Well, that's okay. So let's or let's get a little bit meta for for a sec. Let's pull out of the okay. story and I guess talk about Stephen King in general, I guess his his writing because um the one thing that kind of uh, I guess not really irked me but stood out to me was the way he wrote characters and not not to say that the the actual like descriptions or or the but mostly the way the characters kind of communicated Mm -hmm. it very much to me felt like he was writing as Stephen King like communicate like it it didn't really strike me as kind of like individual characters throughout this book it very much felt this they all kind of felt very similar together Yeah, yeah and it was very difficult at times for me to to like not I don't know, with to to sort of get through sections of this book without having to really lock in and go, okay, who's this? Who's this? Who's talking right now? Who's doing this? Because it does, especially early on when we're kind of like investigating and uh, they're going around asking kind of all this like eyewitness things and people are like telling their you know backstory or life story or all this extra crap that doesn't matter. It just felt very. I don't know, contrived in a little bit of a way. And and there was so much, there's so much writing here that I, I did enjoy, like as far as sort of um, just the like descriptive nature and kind of the, the visceral elements of the writing. But man, uh-huh. characters, characters to me felt very bleh. I don't know. There's not a very good word to describe it other than just kind of that, like ugh, just everyone kind of is like talking the exact same and it's making this very um, uninteresting. 
Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, some of the characters, they're, uh, I think, like verbal tics and things that made them interesting were a little bit, like, stereotypical in some ways. Um, yeah. Like, the... the uh, oh, God, what was it did the feel name? Yeah, it did uh, feel tropey at points. What is... Uh, uh, Sablo. Um, like, he... Some of his, like, verbal tics and stuff... Um, you know, where he would just go into Spanish and like, you say like essay and stuff. I'm like, I just, I don't know that, that to me just doesn't feel culturally appropriate or like, even if it is, it, it feels like it's just paying enough like lift it's service to a little bit culture. like ham fisted. Yeah. It's yeah, like ham fisted in there to be yeah. like, oh yeah, well this is how these, yeah. It almost seems like, like he kind of struggled to write people outside of like, you know, older dudes. Yeah, I guess. And and I mean, that's that's understandable. We've talked about you know people having a sure. hard time sometimes getting out of their own perspective. And what is Stephen King but a seventy-two-year-old white man? Like I, you know, so there is there is some probably struggle to to relate there. You know, the other thing too is I think like some of Holly's like um, OCD stuff. Like there, there was exposition early on when. Um, uh was what is the investigator's name um uh, Alec Pelly um where you know he's like sort of reminding himself his internal monologue is like you know she's like you know eccentric and a bit obsessive compulsive or whatever don't yeah don't fucking say that just let it happen like you just you can see through her her like the way that she communicates that you know she's she's different she may have something else going on i also don't need her to articulate like that she's got you know depression medication and all of this kind of stuff like some of these things that that he felt necessary to like impart on us like in such an explicit way just it also i think cheapened the the characters in some ways which was really disappointing and by the way not something that the show did um i i feel like the, we're sort of on two very different uh, spectrums when it comes to character. I feel like the book didn't do a good job of communicating and setting up character and making you care about them, while the show very, very much did. Um, so, yeah, so I want to, as a real quick, I guess, since you're bringing up the show, one of yeah. the things that I've traditionally heard, or at least I say traditionally, one of the things that is in kind of my tangential outside research around Stephen King and just this novel and other novels that he's done in receptions and uh, I guess how they've translated to film and other media is the general consensus is the people that are kind of in my camp that are very like blase about his writing always tend to enjoy the adaptations a little bit better. It's almost like the adaptations, sure. like the ideas and kind of the, the, the core elements of the source material are great. These would make for a really compelling and great story, mm-hmm. but we really need to just kind of cut out a lot of this, like Stephen King isms, uh, you know, yeah. to, to really, to really get that, you know, more enjoyable elements out of that. And I, I guess the way that you're making it sound is like this, this show kind of falls in that same uh, in that same category as for well. sure. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, I mean, if you just want the bottom line, I think that I would recommend the show over the book any any day. Um, and I think I think part of that, you know, comes down to just 
it's such an investment to read a book, right? Just especially something that's 500 pages from a from a time perspective, from an attention yeah. perspective. And I think that leaves uh, certainly me much more susceptible to uh, like being repulsed when I encounter things that I don't like, right? Because I've I've made all this this time investment up front, and I think something's going a certain way. And then when I'm presented with something that's sort of outside the boundaries of my own expectations, and that's not like explicitly exciting, um, then I then it's it's easy to get mad, right? Whereas like if you're watching a TV show and somebody introduces a, a Mexican vampire, you're like, okay, I guess. I mean, the whole tone of the show also like I was joking with my wife. Like, I swear to God, man, they go episodes with being in rooms where there are no lights on. Like, they, it'll might, it'll be the middle of the day or, like, evening or something, and, like, they won't have any lights on. There's still light, like, coming from somewhere, but lamps are off, like, light fixtures. It's so bizarre. But it sets, yeah. like, a tone to the whole thing where you have this constant, like, feeling of, you know, like, impending, like, just bad. Um and so I, I think I think that you know that tends to play differently in in uh, in TV than it does in books, just because of the investment and all the other cues that you can pick up in film. Yeah. Well, should we should we actually just talk about all the all the differences? Because I, sure. I want to talk I want to talk about the end as well. Uh, okay. And, yeah. And get, I mean, you're get, you're get your you're, thoughts. You are our residential uh, miniseries, I guess, uh, HBO miniseries experts. Yeah. So first of all, we'll start with like the the miniseries thing. Apparently, this might this might go on further. I didn't realize that um, Holly Gibney is was actually introduced um, in a series of novels that that. King did about Bill Hodges. Yeah, that, she was like it was a three part thing that she was a continuing character from one of those, which was a whole other thing for me when I found out because I was like, oh, yeah. okay, they introduced this character, but then when I went and saw that, it was like, oh, she was in all these other books. It's just kind of it added a whole other weird element of this kind of turn in this book halfway through. But that's besides the yeah. Point. So Hodges was if if. If he was mentioned at all, he was mentioned like once in passing. I don't remember him ever coming up. Um, and it was it was straight to to Holly, and um, so she was she was a much more like integral character throughout the show, and and just way better done. I think all of the characters on the show are, are way better done. Um, the the actress that um, plays um, Holly Gibney, her name is. Uh, Cynthia Erivo, um, she is phenomenal as uh, as Holly, and uh, so that's kind of uh, like a big a big difference is like the the character of of Holly is a little bit more grounded in like her investigations, and while she does have like the sort of religious nuance to like her character, um, it is less explicitly like to control her OCD or autism or whatever she's, you know, she's got going on. Um, so it's just, it's just, she's kind of just kind of weird. Um, which is, which is fun. Um, 
So the other big thing um, that was that was different is uh, Derek um, is is actually dead. Um, so Ralph and Jeannie are kind of living in the show in this like shadow of of grief. Um, okay. In the show, he had died of cancer. I don't know, a year or two or something um, prior. He's not at camp, which I thought was such a fucking weird detail when I got to reading this book because I'm like, why, as a character, does Derek even exist? Yeah, you could you could have gone this entire book without mentioning Derek once. It never felt like Ralph was. Um, was ever driven in any of his decision makings by the existence of Derek. Right. Like I never felt that he was equating his like need to like figure out the crime or to clear his name because his son was going to have to carry the burden of this or maybe be murdered by the serial killer or whatever. Like Derek to me in, in the book was absolutely fucking useless and was a terrible choice by, by King, by his editors, by whomever. I have no idea why Derek existed in this book. That being said, in the show, Derek gave Ralph this like this aura of sort of self-doubt and he was just wounded from the get-go. So like his character's um like rejection of the supernatural um was sort of based in his own his own grief. Like he wanted to believe that he'd see his son again, but he was very much, you know, pragmatic because of his police work. So he, you know, couldn't believe that even though he and Jeannie went to the grave several times and talked to him and brought him flowers and stuff, that they were doing anything other than consoling himself. So I thought that was yeah. a pretty big detail for being actually kind of a minor detail in both in both things. Um, in the TV show, there was actually a third, um, like, murderer slash victim. Um, so they traced back beyond Heath. Um, there was a woman, I can't remember her name that was in like New York city or something. She was a bartender. Heath, Heath went there on vacation, got scratched by her while they were having sex and, uh, got the infection like that way or whatever. Um, and she was in prison, um, for the murder of somebody else. I, I don't remember. Um, don't remember the exact circumstances and Holly visited her, which is how she got uh, into the like El Cuco like mindset whenever uh, she was doing her investigation. So that felt a lot more organic, although it was, it was much more annoying that, you know, you have like Heath and then you have this other woman and then you get to the main meat of things. So it felt a little bit drawn out, but uh, Claude's mom didn't exist in the TV show. Uh, he actually had a brother. Um, and that whole like situation where they were with Claude was, uh, circumstantially a little bit different. Um, so they actually had him arrested by state troopers so they could keep an eye on him. And in the show, their motivation was that they know that the, there's a fake killer. Everybody except Ralph at that point is either curious enough about it or believes it, um, completely. So they have Claude arrested knowing that this guy is going to kill somebody else and they all want to be with Claude as witnesses for when this murder happens, um, which is in the show super trippy because why would yeah. they not try to stop this other Claude, right? But all of them go and like shack up with his brother, um, which I think was like in Tennessee. I don't think it was in Texas in the show or it wasn't explicit. But anyway, so that was weird. Um. And then let's see, there was not as much exposition on minor characters. El Cuco really didn't talk 
um, in the show until the very last episode when you get the scene in the cave and then a couple small things with Hoskins. But he also wasn't like uh, like he wasn't physically present as much as he is in the book. Um, yeah. Hoskins neck would just burn if he like didn't do, you know, what he was told to do, basically. Uh, I've already mentioned that Hoskins had to feed Kuko a lot more, which gave Hoskins a little bit more, I think, exposition of like why he was doing these terrible things and he was tortured on the show. And I did not get that like vibe from the book quite as no, much. Not at all. Like Hoskins was, you know, divorced. He was an alcoholic, which, you know, you get in the book, but like he beats a guy up at, at a strip club, like early in the, uh, in the TV show just to like set, like, he's just like a guy just unhinged, even though he's a cop. And so yeah. his character makes a shit ton more sense. Um, and also he kills himself um, at, in, after the gun battle. Ralph doesn't have to kill him. Holly has a love interest in the show who helps like close some loopholes, which is interesting. Um, Kuko's death was different. So um, one, he didn't turn into a bunch of worms. Uh, two, they did fire off a gun and a stalactite fell from the ceiling and like basically impaled him. Oh uh, yeah. Holly like walks out, um, of the chamber and, uh, Ralph, I think starts to follow her and then comes back and smashes his head in with a rock, um, just to make doubly sure he's dead. Right. Um, and then the big thing was that the, there was a, a last victim in the show. So um, El Cuco's trying to transform into Claude and he's trying to, to get enough food to like make the transformation. He's still weak. Basically um, there's like this family um, at sort of like a rural state fair kind of situation. He tries to grab a kid and uh, gets, he's wearing a mask cause it's like, I don't know, some weird thing. There are masks and people and whatever. His mask gets knocked off, and you see he's, like, sort of half-clawed, half-melty. Um, yeah. And somebody snaps a picture, and that's how kind of Ralph then is fully on board with the concept. So, anyway, that's a ton of stuff. I'll stop talking. But that uh, there's a lot of, like, material differences in in the show and, and the book, which I think are are really important. And, again, I think the, the show does it better than the book does. Now, and I know you said... Uh... There's kind of what I've heard about the show, because, again, I hadn't watched it, was supposedly there's going to be, like, a continuation of the series, and yeah. there's, like, a post-credit scene or something that sets yeah. that up. It's, like, a mid, mid-credit mid scene. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of this book, you, you don't get anything that sort of, like, necessarily moves it forward, although Holly talks about, you know, another case or whatever, but in the mid-credit scene... Um, Holly has she's showing a cut on her wrist like uh, like Claude and uh, and Terry got. So the implication is that she could become the next victim slash murder thing. I don't know how that's exactly going to play out, but you don't well, get that from the from the book. Instead, you get Ralph just telling Holly he loves her. Did you find that weird at all? Yes. Yeah. But at that point in reading this book, I was just kind of like, nothing you were surprised just done. me at this point. Yeah, nothing okay. surprised me really at that point in this whole reading menagerie. I definitely think 
if we want to start, if you don't have anything else and we want to start segueing into, yeah, uh, let's let's segue into the feeling about other ratings. Stuff. There's there's stuff here that and and just again my tangentially like cultural knowledge of Stephen King as an author and the works that he's done and having seen a good deal of those translated to other medium. A book like this hasn't necessarily turned me off entirely. It just makes me want to go back a lot further, perhaps, in his career before uh, things sort of got maybe more formulaic for him. Maybe go back to some of his earlier works, some of the more popular ones that I'm aware of, the 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 major plot points, and possibly just read the, the story just to kind of get a feel for the actual um, narrative of it all. But as far as this one goes, it's, I mean... Again, it, it it feels like it had something really compelling, uh, really interesting. I was I was genuinely like, wow, okay, this is we're we're kind of setting up this this sort of crime and mystery angle. And at the back of my mind, I always kind of knew, well, some horror elements got to be in play here because that's that's kind of Stephen King's bag. But it just felt so. It felt like two different novels to me, really. It felt like the first half of one, and then we kind of just slapped another one there on the end with like, all right, well, we'll bring Holly in from this other book, and we'll do all this and. You know, it just didn't really feel super cohesive for me, especially later on in the book. It just felt like it kind of like crashed and burned. And so it's going to be it's going to be it's it's between bottom shelf and donate for me, but it's going to be a donate for me. And, okay. you know, no, no hard feelings. Stephen King, you got plenty of other work that I'm sure if I read would would end up on the shelf. But our our first choice necessarily did not make the cut for me on that regard. Yeah, I I think I think you've got some fair criticism in there for sure. Um, so my, I think my impression of the book is is probably definitely polluted. I think by by the show, and I would say probably for the worse. Um, in a sense that like the show illustrated to me what this story could have been. So I'm I'm gonna put the book on my bottom shelf. Um, I think that there was a, there was a lot of good in here. Um, I, I hated the length. I thought that the like the amount of exposition was was unnecessary, given that a lot of it didn't pay off. Um, and then I thought that other characters were underserved. I thought Holly was was grossly underserved. Um, and uh, like the reason I brought up the "I love you" thing at the end was that. In the show, you get much more of like the relationship, um, like a, a familial type relationship building between Ralph and Holly, where yeah. like him saying something like that by the time this this all wrapped up, like would still be weird, but like you would understand that there is sort of mutual respect of people who are coming at this situation from completely different ideological you know corners. Yeah. Um. So, anyway, I. But I would say that I am super open to reading other Stephen King because I think he does a lot of things very well. And I understand now why he is um, so highly regarded. Um, that being said, this book, yeah, probably suffered from, you know, writing 62 other books before this. And he's gotten into some sort of some sort of groove. Um, it would have been, I think, much more interesting had he... I don't know, presented like the idea of this monster. And then it all comes back to, you know, oh my God, this guy actually did this. Right. And he planted, you know, evidence or, you know, whatever, like they came up with something that made it more horrifying. Cause sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. 
right? Yeah. And the idea that like a man, a you know, T-ball or a little league coach would do something like this to me is way more terrifying than a Mexican vampire living in a cave in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, that is, that is honestly, that, that would have been a much, I think not palatable, but that would have been a more interesting and compelling story to tell is how we kind of, we start at the point where it's, Oh, this has happened. It's horrible. This guy did it, but wait, no, he didn't do it. Now we have to figure out who's framing him. And then at the end, somehow it's, it all kind of comes together back you know, to, to square one, that would have been a little bit more interesting. Yeah. Than what we got. But like, yeah. like I said, I I'm open. I think we'll probably get some Stephen King at some point again on the podcast, maybe, maybe a little while's off, but I definitely think sure. we'll, we'll, we'll tend to some more of the, the classics perhaps, but like, like here's, here's a, what if for you, what if Terry Maitland was, was Heath and was the, the killer beforehand and had been like a serial killer his entire life as he like grew up and lived different places. But yeah. this is the one that like unraveled, right? Like you could still do the Hoskins stuff, right? So like maybe he knew that Hoskins was allergic to something and, you know, put shit on his neck or put shit inside his shirt, you know, to make things burn, you know, gave him hallucinatory, uh, like hallucinations while he was sleeping and like, you know, tried to convince him when he was in that state to, to do things. Right. And he did yeah. actually like set up these sort of, like feeding grounds for his for his like murder fantasy like to me that is that's a way scarier concept um and and way more interesting and you could still go through the same thing right you could still have the the like sort of how do you have be in two places at once thing and have the whole thing you know just unravel slowly as you go through it and i don't know i just i, I agree the monster thing is kind of gimmicky All right. So where do we go? Where do we go now? Do we want to talk about what's coming up next, or do we want to have a little uh, our little coronavirus hoedown? Because I don't think yeah, any. Let's... As much as we try to stay, I, I I would love to say we try to stay political, but that that doesn't really happen. I all don't that often, stay. But as, no, no, you don't at all. I, I I think I do a pretty okay job of that. But yeah. as much as we um, as much as we try to focus on our subject matter being you know a book podcast, it's. This is a unique and interesting, well, not interesting, just more of a unique and kind of scary uh, situation globally because we are, I do like to take pride in the fact that we are a global podcast. We do have listeners everywhere, and so I'm sure there are plenty of people that have listened to our podcast that have been affected by this possibly for a month, weeks, things like that. But it's just starting kind of to bubble over in those kind of uh, that sort of real mindset here in the States and uh you know, you saw it this last week with trying to go and shop for toilet paper. Good luck. But uh, yeah. yeah, it is, you know, thankfully, I I guess, thankfully, you know, for us, we're already heavily invested in reading. And I think that that is a naturally amazing hobby, you know, to, to have or to pick up in times like this where you should be doing your part to try to socially distance yourself from uh crowds and from other people it gives you a real opportunity to just dig into a couple of really good books and for sure and and how many people like want to read more i mean i I would assume that most people out there who don't read regularly and hell probably even a few people that do wish they read more stuff what better opportunity is there to sit down and go through that like list of things that you've had on your nightstand or, you know, whatever it is, order it, read it, go through it. 
And, you know, not only are you obviously potentially helping, you know, your community and, and the world at large by distancing yourself um, from people, you're also edifying yourself in the process, right? Um, I mean, you, yeah, you could sit there and watch Disney Plus and Netflix, you know, all day, but you already do that, right? And I mean, that's that also that's also going to be part of my uh, routine. But well, yes. yeah, but I mean, I, I don't know about you. I get bored, you know, watching more than a couple hours of anything at a time. Like, I've got to go break it up. And for me, like, I could sit and read a book for six hours straight. Like, I don't know what it is about books that I can just sort of fall into them, but it's totally different than like watching TV for me or even playing video games for that, for that matter. But, you know, it is kind of weird. Like as, as all of this stuff has, has unfolded, you know, obviously I've talked to um, my family that, that lives in Wisconsin. So, you know, things are, are a little bit rural, especially where my parents live. Um, you know, so they're not seeing, you know, quite the same things that, that we're seeing here. Um, but it kind of feels like, like you're sort of living in like a disaster movie in, in some way, right? Like you see these pictures of empty shelves and, you know, we're having these disaster declarations. People are literally closing countries. Uh, you know, Italy's been on quarantine, you know, people are not supposed to do anything other than go to the grocery store or the doctor basically, um, for, for a full two weeks. Like it just it seems so crazy. Like this is this seems like the beginning of like you know every disaster movie ever, right? When it comes to disease or zombies or you know whatever. Like have have you have you processed that at all? Uh, I mean, this last Friday was probably the first time. So I did most of my preparing because I'm an overly cautious. I'd like to say overly cautious, but probably more paranoid would be the appropriate designation so i've been kind of doing i've been kind of doing preparing as i go to kind of ensure that we have everything that we need here in the event that we would have to self-isolate for two weeks a month two months two months is probably a lot i don't know if i would yeah if i if i feel comfortable saying we got enough for that but we got enough for at least a month so so i've kind of been doing things throughout and it's kind of been blase for the most part at source you see some people that have started like early preparing and all that stuff but for the yeah. most part the 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 atmosphere has been pretty blase leading up the you know the last month or so and then Man, Friday, I guess everyone got paid. You know, the national state of emergency was announced. People are finally kind of taking this seriously or people just panicking. And yeah, yeah it, it was it was crazy. And, you know, I'm I'm trying to remember we were we were in school. I guess the closest thing I could think of is we were in school when we had a hurricane that came through our town yeah, and knocked out Ike. power. But yep. It was it was uh, it wasn't super substantial. I don't ever remember. I remember there being power outages. I remember going around and helping people clean up. But I don't ever remember there being any issues with like utility delivery or people worrying about food shortages or anything like that. Mostly because we weren't, you know, we were inland a good little bit. We weren't necessarily. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I imagine you know I've seen c- scenarios and instances around you know like Hurricane Harvey a few years back in in Houston. Yep. And, uh, Katrina is obviously another example. Any type of these like super, you know, massive natural disasters is when you kind of see this sort of run on supplies and all these other things. And uh, when you actually have conditions that will lead to uh, severe shortages in in sort of like supply chain. Right. So people genuinely yeah. it's like, well, you know, we're not going to be able to get water. Utilities will probably be down if it's hit hard or all these other things. 
And so it's crazy to me to see, you know, to go into a store, to go into a grocery store on Friday, and it's just like the mood in there is completely different. Everyone's just very quiet. It's somber. The, yeah. It, it's, it's 11 o'clock at night, but there's, you know, 50 people in line. All the milk is gone. All the water is gone. All the bread is gone. All the meat is gone. A lot yeah. of the, like, canned foods, dry goods, a lot of that is all gone. And it's it was it was crazy. Yeah, it was like walking into a scene from a from a like a disaster movie or just it was it was an interesting thing you know and i guess we're you know the privilege of living in a in a first world country that we've never had to really experience any type of or i've never personally had to experience any type of like food or shortage in necessities i've never had to experience any type of situation where there is a legitimate a quarantine a, a right. requirement for people to sort of self-isolate and so it was it it is it still kind of feels surreal but it's one of those things that it's you look around internationally and it it is kind of one of those things where it's only just beginning at least for us you know we've we've yep. kind of been observing externally what what happened in uh, Hubei province for the the month plus that they were there and it was very much kind of like oh wow look at that that's interesting over there and mm-hmm. it's at no point is it kind of like well you know how does this happen you know, on in in Europe and in America, and we're kind of seeing that sort of unfold now with with these mass, you know, shutdowns and quarantines and all these other yeah. things. And I saw another, I saw something today. You know, one of the big things, the issues is, you know, they've been advising against travel and even as so far as like suspending travel to certain places. But I saw pictures today in in Chicago O'Hare and at DFW, like lines of thousands and thousands of people just crammed together, uh, trying to get through customs from right, their like. Right. From their like slow down uh, for COVID screening. And to me, it's just like, that's like, God, that would be the most terrifying thing is now you're stuck in this airport, this hub of right. just international connection where you can imagine a majority of the spreading occurs and you're stuck with a bunch of people from a bunch of different countries trying to get through here. And yeah. it's just, it's just a nightmare. It just honestly is. So, yeah, it's, it is absolutely crazy, and it, it's a little bit strange that we, not only as a society, but, like, the federal government hasn't seemed to have taken this very seriously. Um, I mean, even with the the last couple of days, the disaster declaration and, and uh, some of those things, like, it seems like the comments from, like, you know, certainly the WHO, um, you know, the CDC tend to be a little bit more aggressive than like what the government's willing to, to step in and, and actually do. And, you know, you've seen then uh, smaller municipalities and states, you know, try then to, to implement, you know, their own more stringent restrictions than, than what the federal government is, is requiring. So, I mean, it's the other thing is I don't think I ever expected to be in this situation and kind of like not know exactly what to do and, and to feel like, you know, um, maybe not everybody is on the same page. And, and that is, that is strange to me as well. I'll give you a perfect example of that. Vicky works at a school. Her school is closed, um, through the end of the month, even though, you know, this last week they were, they were on spring break. Obviously that's, you know, to kind of get into this whole, like, you know, social distancing thing. Well, uh, at work, you know, we've, we've gone through like these work from home tests and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, Definitely my manager, and or, or I would assume my manager's manager, uh, doesn't seem to be willing to employ those work-from-home strategies, even though, uh, you know, our peers in in other, you know, banks uh, seem to have done that. The Federal Reserve, 
has has done that. All of their employees, if you have to go to an office and you work for the Fed, you have to get senior leadership approval to go into the office. Um, you know, so some people are taking this a lot more seriously than than others. And obviously it's it's all dependent certainly on on geography. Um, but it's kind of one of those times, in my opinion, that, uh, you know, it stands to reason that caution is better than, you know, a, a lack thereof. And if everybody could stay home for a few weeks and, you know, avoid going to parties, avoid going, you know, out to eat or, you know, being in crowded bars for St. Patrick's Day, like all these these things that we normally take for granted for just a small amount of time, it could make a, you know, a huge difference. So you could be reading books in that. You could be. Do you have any uh, do you have any extras that you're sort of uh, earmarking to have handy whenever you're going to be at home? Over the yeah. course of potentially weeks or a month or however long, I definitely uh, I've definitely outside of obviously up. what we're outside of obviously what we're recommending for yes. the actual. Podcast I've got reading. I've got a couple like um, books just that from uh, like Germany and and Switzerland and stuff that uh, that I've I've wanted to read. I got a couple poetry collections, um, including uh, Autopsy by Dante Collins. Uh, there's a collection called uh, My Dark Horses by uh, Jody Hollander that I've had on my on my reading list. Um, oh, I actually bought another Stephen King book. Um, he did a uh, nonfiction uh, book or really, I guess it's a memoir called On Writing. Um, and it kind of talks about his like process and, and theory of, of writing. I've got a couple books like that. Do you have anything that, that you've got outside of the podcast that you're excited I have about? A, yeah, I have a weird eclectic. Uh, so I have a few. One of them I was, it was kind of, I'm still on the fence about whether or not to do it on the podcast. And if I read it, then maybe not. But if I don't read it, maybe it'll show up later. And that's Killer Angels by uh, Michael Shera. I like, I have a lot of like either uh historical war novels or i have starship troopers by robert island that i've been meaning to read for a little bit just kind of some some old science fiction another one i have a book on thermopylae uh i i tend to like skew a little bit more towards nonfiction, but i'm trying sure to, i'm trying to kind of skirt the balance there so i've got a few things definitely um i have a few things definitely to read here but i don't know i i've i am I don't know. I'm very much like I, my thing is I get very stir crazy very easily. Yeah. yeah. So reading is definitely, and I'm already going to be. Thankfully, we're gonna we'll we'll get to that here in a sec. But we're gonna have a few books out uh, for podcasting here, so I'll have plenty of reading material via the podcast too. But I mean, I went today and bought some like kettlebells and some some stuff just to to like get me up uh, like at least around our area around the house so that. I don't have to get so necessarily stir crazy so I can do something because that's that's probably the biggest thing with me. Although it also helps I have a toddler to run around yeah. with all the time too. Yeah. So he'll uh, he'll definitely work to keep me kind of active. So so if if we think about just like being stir crazy and like like just social interaction, like obviously talking is is a good thing. Podcasts are a good thing. Can you think of like three books from our entire back catalog that that you would that you would recommend that people like read and listen to like our our previous episodes on? The most obvious one, the most obvious one is Gentleman in Moscow, like always. 
we're just we've sung that book's praises for over a year now. It was such an enjoyable read. You could certainly stretch that book out for a week and a half, two weeks to really just enjoy it at a nice slow pace if you want, or you could you could churn through it in a couple of days. But yeah, I mean, obviously that's probably the highest recommendation one I could write I could give for this. Um, I don't know. Salvage the Bones seems kind of appropriate. I mean, obviously yeah. in a different way, but you know, it's kind of an impending sort of disaster in a family sort of dealing with uh, the circumstances and outcomes surrounding that. Albeit yeah. in a different way, it is kind of fascinating. I don't know. We haven't done anything specifically on uh, on like viral outbreaks or anything. No, like that. but like I was thinking more like like a lighthearted one that was really good was was Hitchhikers. Um, actually, that oh, might absolutely. be a really good one to pick up and read like the second book on if if I get stir crazy because the first book is one it's short, uh, but two it's just outlandishly fun. Um, so that that is definitely on on my list. Oh, I also have some. I when I say I also read nonfiction, I've I've pulled aside a few like cookbooks and uh, one for like small gardening and other like small woodworking things. And I'm just like, man, I've always I've always been interested in like small stuff like that. So it gives me a little something. I know it's not a traditional read in the sense of how we prescribe on this uh, on this podcast, but those certainly are more interactive things that you can kind of use to integrate into things to be a little bit less stir crazy. I know I certainly would yeah. be needing that. Well, uh, Plot Against America is getting made into an HBO um, miniseries that comes out, uh, I think, on Mon. No, next week. It's the 17th, I think, is the date that I saw. So yeah. we'll be good. interested to see how that turns out compared to the book. I know I uh, I was much lower, and I was still pretty low on the book, even when we kind of reassessed, and I decided against giving it away and keeping it. I think I was still pretty low on the book, so I'd be interested to see how how much the series irritates me or doesn't so we'll yeah see. i'm definitely gonna watch that but one of those things if you want to read the book before everybody you know watches a show about it that's a good one the other one i was kind of i was kind of flirting with on the beach obviously we really didn't like that book um because of just some of the misogyny and uh just some of the well, weird just i think oh, it's more just the poor writing yeah of it all but the poor writing I, and poor bait and switch plot point of it all. Yeah, I mean conceptually though, I think now it's it's an interesting like societal study and like you know how people try to carry on in in the face of like disaster. And obviously theirs was like everybody knew that they were going to die, uh, so things were a little bit different. But it's it is kind of interesting like having read that and then seeing you know how people behave like they're much more courteous than i than i thought people would be in in this kind of situation we need more fun books i think that's where my brain was was going i was trying to think of one more fun book and we have read some really heavy shit i've got a fun book for episode 50 whenever we're it gets time to get into that it's a special it's a special book it's just just peel the band-aid off what are we reading for episode 50 jacob so I teased it last episode that there was going to be a special tie-in with this book being our 50th episode, so I had to do something special for this book. So in honor of our 50th episode, our 50th book, not our 50th book, but our 50th episode, it's something like our 47th book, maybe, or 46th. Yeah, but, sounds about right. But our 50th episode, you and I and our audience at home will be listening and reading Fifty Shades of Grey. 
by E.L. James. Yes, the cult international phenomena, however you feel about it, turned into movies, turned into just a complete and utter mess. But we're going to read it and we're going to give it its due. OK, we're going to we're going to approach this very respectably, <laughs> very honestly, very openly. <laughs> Are we? And, and we're going to see we're going to see, you know, if it's if it's worth the hype or if it's worth all the the negative that now backlash you kind of see against it. So, yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey. That's going to be the biggest departure I think that we've ever had on this show as far as uh reading content is concerned and i'm i'm here for it honestly i'm very excited i have not been this unexcited about a book since blood meridian hands down so what you're saying so you're equating 50 shades of gray to blood meridian wow no that's i'm that's that's company that's good no no no. i'm 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 equating my my anticipation of of hating this book um, with that, I, I I know for a fact that I'm going to hate this book on every level more than I hate Blood Meridian. I've I've read excerpts of this uh, when it was super popular because I was just curious. I I have never read more abhorrent writing in my entire life. If they have, I'm gonna, I'm going to mandate this. If they've come out with like re- revised editions. We, you have to make an effort to go find like a first or second edition, not for the monetary value, but I want this to be read in all of its unholy glory. It is going to be absolute garbage, and I cannot wait to to talk about it. I'm excited. And, I'm excited. I'm going to be very respectful in my approach towards this. I'm going to be very right. open-minded because I think that it's going to be necessary to kind of counterplay to your already just throwing it out and shitting on it. it so. Oh, I, I, this, it's just going to be, it's going to be a free episode for me. I just get to say whatever I want to. Uh, so after that, we're going to, we're going to take a foray into, into poetry. Um, and we're going to read good bones by Maggie Smith for episode 51. So she's a, she's a pretty prolific, um, poet, um, here in America right now. Um, and somebody that I've been, uh, meaning to read for, for quite a while, um, she actually, uh, read on Christina Thatcher's new collection, um, that's coming out in April, uh, called, uh, how to carry fire. And, uh, so I thought, what is, when is there a more appropriate time to, to read a really important poet that is active today than, uh, after she's read a friend of, uh, of ours, um, newest collection. So I think that'll be, that'll be cool. Um, and then you have the book after as well yeah we're just gonna go ahead and just put three of them out there in advance so people can get in on this because i don't know i don't know how much of our audience is going to be in on 50 shades of gray hopefully all of them i'd like to (laughs) i'd like to have you all join us for that conversation that'll be fun uh but yes after that so episode 52 we're going to be reading The Devil in the White City, Magic, or excuse me, Murder, Magic, and Madness at the Fair that Changed America. And I'm going to read you the little blurb on the back jacket to kind of set this up because I know tangentially about H.H. H. Holmes, which this book is kind of about. Um, so. Mm-hmm. We'll just we'll just read the back for you here. Eric Larson's spellbinding bestseller intertwines the true tale of two men of two men, the brilliant architect behind the legendary 1893 World's Fair, striving to secure America's place in the world, and the cunning serial killer who used the fair to lure his victims to their death. Combining meticulous research with nail-biting storytelling, Eric Larson has crafted a narrative with all the wonder of newly discovered history and the thrills of the best fiction. So that'll be interesting. 
I'm I'm really excited for the uh like serial killer murder dungeon that takes place yeah. in this book. Apparently, the elaborate HH. I don't know if you know anything about HH Holmes. Any? I I literally know nothing. Should I read ahead of time or no? Uh, I would probably say read the book and then do some do some do research some afterwards because okay. I don't know how much of it's going to come up in here, but I know a little bit about HH Holmes, so that's kind of what okay. drew me to this book. Uh. A little bit interest-wise, so there you go, episode fifty-two. Eric Larson has been on my uh, on my reading list for for quite a while. I've got a couple of his books on the shelf. My wife has read some of his stuff um, and really liked it. Although I think she has said that uh, some of the historical stuff that he does can be a little bit dense. So, but yeah, obviously, you know, we're we're excited to to get to read at least to take the edge off of the circumstances surrounding. Everything right now. It's always yeah. fun to have some, not not necessarily an escape, but something proactive, something interesting, something you know affirming to do in the meantime. And so we hope all of you will will join us with that. And you can, you know, if you'd like, you can tweet at us with your with your coronavirus prep situations, and we can yeah we can judge who's uh, who's got the best. I'll send you a photo of uh, of mine here. A little okay. bit later today, Ryan, if you want to throw that up on social media. I, won't, I do. I, won't, I do. I won't put the address because God knows I don't need people. Uh, yeah. Coming to knocking up, on your door. I want to talk coming about to hit up. You know, do you know what would the, be fun? The toilet if, paper and hand sanitizer king of Dallas. If we go on like full on quarantine, I have a proposal for you. Okay. What's that? We should do an actual like book discussion on Discord. We've, we've floated the idea out before we can give ourselves like, you know, a week and we can set some parameters for listeners to, to join, but we could just have a like discord based live episode, AMA extra thing to get us through COVID-19. Cause yeah. What else is there to do? When you're Are you down? If we go on full arrest. on lockdown. Yeah, sure. All right. Absolutely. It's done. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, next few episodes we've got coming up. We have Fifty Shades of Grey by E.L. James. I'm sorry, but we're doing it. Good Bones by Maggie Smith. The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. If you want to chat about anything uh, between now and any of those episodes, hit us up on uh, Twitter at Better Bookshelf. Thank you for listening to this episode. And until next time. Until next time.